What would Jesus protest? It's another day. I'm another John, and this is Another Note. Today's edition of Another Note is titled, Who's in Charge? Our scripture reference today is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. As always, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. No one thinks America is perfect. It's only closer to perfection when the people we voted for are in power. We do seem more willing to scrutinize our country when the other party is leading. But when it's our colors and animal in charge, obviously the future is bright. With that, we also like to use the Bible to confront others who disagree with our heaven-sent policies. Christians love using Romans 13 as a blanket affirmation of governmental authority. Again, depending on who's in authority. Romans 13 does not support such an approach. It wasn't Paul's intent to elevate a nation's government. He was not making room for you or I to endorse our latest favorite candidate. For one thing, that is out of place in the reading. That doesn't match at all what Paul has been saying in the first 11 chapters, and it doesn't match the remaining ones. This is another good example of why context matters. Romans 13 is not a standalone chapter, nor is Paul's exhortation without its own situational aims. So what is Paul doing in Romans 13? The same thing he's trying to do with the entire letter. He hopes to unite a burdened and quarreling church. The way to do that is through obedience first to God, love toward each other, and submission to Rome. No, he wouldn't expect Christians to blindly support everything the government would do. I'm convinced that's a separate issue. 
When policies counter God's abundant life, Christians have a prophetic voice. Paul's charge in Romans 13 is a continued effort to unite a fractured church. A leading way they could unite was by not joining other rebellions or insurrections. Focus on the good work God gives you. The prophet Jeremiah gave a similar charge to his people, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Jeremiah wouldn't condone Babylon. Even as a Roman citizen himself, neither would Paul honor Caesar's kingdom before God's. No country is perfect. It's made up of and run by people. Give to Caesar what's his. Give to God what belongs to God. That's what Jesus said. And what belongs to God? Our faithful love to the Lord and care for God's people. Stay blessed. Now, before you go, let me make sure you know I love you and you are a blessing to me. Thanks for listening to another note. I hope it helps you live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let me know if I can pray with you and help us reach others by sharing today's devotional or leaving a review wherever you listen as a podcast. And finally, make sure to check out the website at anotherjohn.com. God be with you.